Welcome to the Wealth Builders Podcast. I'm Billy Epperhart, and on this show, you're going to hear from industry leaders in business, real estate, and investing. Our Wealth Builder coaches and myself are excited to teach you how to make sense of making money for making a difference. Okay, let's get started. Well, hello and welcome to this week's Wealth Builders Podcast. I'm Karen Conrad, and I am so excited about today's program because we've got our coaches, Bill Bronchek, who you know is the best real estate attorney ever, and real estate and business coach, Frank Pulley, joining me because we had so many questions at the last real estate workshop that we didn't get to that we promised you that we would do podcasts and answer those questions. So I just want to say a quick hello to you, Bill, and thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. And Frank, always good to have you on. Always glad to be here. Thank you so much. And just a reminder, too, that if you miss the real estate workshop, uh, hey, you know what? You can get the USB. And this was, I've heard from many people, the best real estate workshop that we have ever done. It just keeps getting better and better. So to learn more about that, you can go to wealthbuilders.org and you can click on the main page to the real estate products from the workshop. It'll take you to the store and you can purchase that. Uh, also, we just want to remind you that we do a real estate coaching. We'll be referencing some information on that as we go as well. All right, guys, let's go ahead and get started. The first question is, where do I find detailed instructions on how and where to build my team? And this would include financial, contractor, realtor. Frank, I'm going to start with you on this one. Well, I think a key person to find on your team is a local real estate agent that actually works with investors. You know, you need to ask them if they invest themselves, if they own any properties, because they're going to understand the pro the uh, kind of money you're going to offer and, you know, the market rents and things like that. A good realtor that works with investors is going to have contacts for financing, for contractors and everybody else you're going to need. Anything you want to throw in there, Bill? Yeah, I would also say if you're in the rental business, uh, a property manager, okay. property managers that you're looking for someone to manage your portfolio. Um, well, or if you don't have a portfolio, then your potential portfolio. Um, and they will will know what neighborhoods are good rentals, what the general rents are, what are the rules and regulations. Um, and they'll have contacts for contractors, insurance people and every pretty much everyone else you need for a rental property. That's awesome, guys. And we do have, we talk about this quite a bit. Mike Davis on our team has a whole teaching on it. And this is one of those things that is covered in detail in the coaching program. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, you know, we get referrals from people. We're finding that through that, that coaching group, people are sort of going towards different geographic areas and they're sharing their teams with each other, which is, you know, ideal because you get those personal referrals. All right, great. Hey guys, this one we get a lot of questions on and Bill, I'm going to start with you. What is hard money lending? 
hard money lending is basically peer-to-peer -peer lending, individual or small company to your company for short-term purposes. Usually they call it hard money because it's much more expensive than going, let's say, to a bank or a mortgage company, but it's it's for short-term use and it's very fast to qualify and close. Uh, it's expensive. You're going to pay much higher rates and you're going to pay much higher fees up front, but it's the availability of the money and the speed at which they can get it to you that counts. So if you're buying a property with the intent of fixing and flipping it and you'll be out of it in six months or you need maybe a year loan on a commercial property, then you're going to refinance it. Uh, you just need a bridge loan. That's the type of loan that you're going to be getting. Now, in terms of being a hard money lender, I think that's insinuated in the question. Um you can be a hard money lender, uh, but you have to know what you're doing in terms of the due diligence on the property because um, you really don't want to lend to people and, and set them up for failure and then foreclose them and get the property. What you really want to do is make money on your money uh, and see them succeed. Uh, so you have to know enough about who you're lending to and what the project is and what's their plan for you know getting out and getting your money back. Great. Frank, anything to add to that? Well, yeah, Bill and I have discussed this a lot. If you're going to use a 50-50 partner for financing, as a general rule, it can vary. Uh, hard money is going to cost you maybe 30 to 35% of your net versus 50%. So actually, in some cases, it's a great way to go and cheaper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I used to be, because of course, being in banking 25 years, you know, hard money loans just sounded like, oh my goodness, they're going to go and like break your ankles or something if you don't pay is the the idea out there. And it's not that at all. When you've got people that are in the business, uh, they are amazing people. They serve a great purpose. And what we found recently is we were surprised how similar the fees were to what's available out there in the market right now, because Fannie and Freddie have taken, in my opinion, such a stance against investors yeah. that when we really put the loan products next to each other, surprisingly, the hard money loan ended up costing us less money for our flip project than going the traditional route. So you guys, what do you think as far as what's happening in the market with loans um, do you think there's going to be more of a drive towards hard money lenders with the flexibility? Uh, well, there's different types of hard money lenders. What you described is probably more of a, a, what we call a mushy money. Yeah, uh, It's not really that hard. But, and, and what it is, is the less you have to qualify, the more you're going to pay for it. So if you... You know, if you're broke <laughs> and you want to do a flip and you have no credit and, you know, no assets, uh, yeah, you can get money for that, but it's going to be, you know, 14% interest. Um, but if you have some qualification, not like a mortgage company would put you through, but you can show income, you can show a reasonable credit score and some cash reserves. Yeah, the hard money rates are not that much higher than, uh, you know, traditional Fannie Freddie lending. Wow, so interesting. One of the things you have to watch, though, for, and this is in any loan, is the points they charge up front, because that can be a pretty uh, hefty cost. You know, for example, if they charge three points and it's a $100,000 loan, you're going to pay $3,000 up front. And normally that's not refundable. That just goes into the cost of the loan. That's really good to know. And also the prepayment penalties. Right, right. And uh, yes, usually lender wants to make a minimum of six months interest. 
uh, mm-hmm. for the headache of having to qualify you. So yeah. if you only needed it for 90 days, uh, you're still going to pay for six months worth of interest. Wow. So helpful. Thanks so much, guys. All right. This is an interesting question. Uh, this person says, I need help with buying property negotiations. Can it be taught or do I need to learn through experience? Frank, do you want to start us out on this one? Yeah, I'll start it out. Well, property negotiations can be just like any kind of negotiations can be taught. There are courses. As a matter of fact, I'll give a plug. Um, there's a uh, course on both hard money lending and also property negotiations on Bill Bronchick's site, which we give lifetime access to, to all the wealth builder coaching students. It's a great way to start. There's a lot of different techniques, but to me, negotiating properties is like learning to swim. You can watch the YouTube video. You can get in the shallow end and do all the motions, but it really is when you jump in the deep end, you get a real sense and, and, and you get good. You're going to mess up once in a while, but you know what? You learn from your mistakes and you go through, but good negotiations property or otherwise are you negotiate everything you do in life, whether you realize it or not. So it's a great skill to have. Great. Bill. Yeah. Well, if you're from the DNA of the first 12 tribes of Israel, (laughs) you know, you have kind of built in negotiating skills, (laughs) which bill is. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, In all seriousness, uh, I think it's skills that can be learned. One of my favorite books I read when I was actually a teenager was called how to negotiate anything by Herb Cohen. Uh, It's very old and very classic book on negotiating styles. Um, You know, just to hang out with a, a Persian rug dealer and, (laughs) <laughs> you know, the problem is, as Americans, we're too nice and we want to be liked and we want to be reasonable. Um, and sometimes you have to push it a little bit. And, you know, may, you may not be a Persian rug dealer obnoxious, um, but um, you have to learn the skills of how to get what you want without um, without really upsetting the other party and making them think that they got, you know, what they wanted to. And that's really a, it's a perception thing. It's not a reality thing. Um, so when you give people, for example, your bottom line price, and then the, the other party wants to change that, you have no room to negotiate because you already gave your bottom line. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's really good. And of course, a real estate agent is going to be a big part of that because mm-hmm. you have to communicate yes. through them in most cases. We also had one of our coaching clients had a question. I don't know if you saw this, Frank, in an email, but one of our other coaches, Troy Peterson, was uh, just reminding her that in the negotiations to make sure she takes time to figure out what problem needs to be solved from the That's seller. Right. And right. Billy talks about that too. He, he he reminds us like, you know, what is the situation of the seller? And it's so funny because, um, you know, Levi's been listening to Billy for years and when he goes into deals, that's what he said. All right, we got to find out the situation of the seller. And that is very important because that is the point of negotiation and finding out what's important to them. Sometimes we assume that it's all price, but in fact, it might be a quick close more than price. But if you don't take the time to find that out or you don't work with a real estate agent that's asking those right questions, we could be negotiating and be completely off base and in that leave a lot on the table and maybe miss out on the deal. So um, I think that's really important to do. And I don't know, Frank or Bill, if one of you has got a suggestion on that, you know, how do you find out the situation of the seller? Well, you can ask, and that's usually the best thing. But if you're dealing through real estate agents, 
um, especially if the listing agent may not want to give that information out, especially if it's if it's sensitive, like they're in foreclosure or somebody died or divorce. Um, sometimes what I like to do, especially if, if I want to do a complex deal is I'll ask the listing agent to meet my agent and the seller at their office and sit down over a table and negotiate it. And sometimes the seller will just blurt it out. <laughs> and just so, listening. Yeah, just listening to the conversation. No. And you can get a better idea. And it's often good when you're pre presenting sort of an out-of-the-box offer because when you say something to your agent and they say it to the listing agent, and the listing agent, by the time it gets to the seller, it's like the game of telephone. Um, you know, you make what you thought was a great creative offer, and then the listing agent says to his client or her client that, uh, well, we got this kind of wacky offer. You want to hear it? <laughs> That's not how I want to present it. No. Yeah. Yeah. And a good example of that is uh, a few years ago in Colorado Springs, I had a, a little old lady that uh, was having some problems and um, I worked out some creative uh, stuff with her, which I won't go into detail, but the main thing was the down payment and she didn't want it 10,000 down. And I figured, you know, I found out what it was. She wanted it because our kid was having some legal problems. Well, two other investors were in, in on the mix. They offered more money, but would only give her five grand each. And she went with my offer, which was lower because I took the time to learn what it is uh, that she needed. Yeah. Wow, that is awesome. That's encouraging. And it's one of those ways to get in there with the advantage that doesn't necessarily all relate back to price. Yeah. And right. I think that's in this market, too, with what we're heading into. This is a really important point that that you guys are sharing with us today is we can find our our way to get an edge by taking into consideration and applying what you're describing. That's that's huge in negotiation. Thanks, you guys. That was awesome. Sure. All right. Here's a question. Someone uh, presented the question. I have a home equity line of credit. We call that a HELOC for $200,000 and no debt. Any suggestions? Uh, Bill, I'm going to start with you on this one. Well, it depends on what the house is worth. I would get a bigger one. Um, if you've got a million dollar home and a $200,000 line of credit, bump it up to a half a million. Um, it's not, you're not really taking on more debt because you don't pay interest unless you borrow from the line of credit. So it's not like a regular mortgage where you're committed to a payment for 30 years. If you need money in a hurry, like the example before, you buy, fix, and flip instead of going to a hard money lender, if you would borrow off your line of credit at 6 or 7%, that's much better, no points, um, no closing costs. You could use that temporarily to buy, fix, flip, get your money back, pay off the line of credit, and you only pay you know five or six months worth of interest. Yeah. You know, uh, the three of us have talked to so many people that said, I'd love to get into real estate investing, but I don't have any money. And then they're sitting on four or five hundred thousand dollars worth of equity yes. that could easily be leveraged into, you know, a very successful real estate portfolio over time. Yeah, this is uh, Billy shares a story. This is actually how he got started <clears throat> and he got the cash. And so I thought that was encouraging. There there's some I would say nuances to HELOCs and that it's not a great option to hold long term. I mean, you can for a little while, but one of our coaching clients, um, Sarah, was sharing with us that they have a HELOC. They were going in to buy cash. So it was a way for them to be able to buy a cash offer, which is usually, of course, going to go to the top of the list because you can close right. within 10 days. You've probably heard that if you've listened to this podcast right. 
But she was saying that the lenders were putting stipulations on that, meaning that you couldn't do a cash out refi if you did this for a certain period of time. And so I would just love to hear, is this is this something new that's happening? Frank, have you heard about this? This is the first I've heard about it. What about you, Bill? Uh, I, yes, I have. If you're going to get a refi, a cash out refi, in and you've only owned the property less than a year, then they have a problem with that. Yeah. Even if you buy cash and you don't have a mortgage against the property and you want to refi that into another loan, they consider it cash out. Uh, where we usually think of cash out as okay, you have a hundred thousand dollar property, you owe fifty, and you want to borrow eighty, you get a thirty cash out. Um, in, in that same scenario, if you bought it for 50 grand cash and it's worth a hundred and you wanted to borrow 50, that's 50 cash out to them because there's no loan on the property. Okay. Got it. So yeah. they're like, they, if someone comes in, they've got a HELOC on their primary dwelling and they buy another investment property with that, that is considered cash at the table because right. the lien is not on the investment property. The lien right. is on the primary yeah. dwelling. Right. Well, it's the way to do that, the workaround. And I don't want to blow people's minds too far with this one. But um, if you have a corporate entity, you could lend the money from your home equity line of credit to that corporate entity or a friend's corporate entity. Uh, LLC or a corporation, and then have them lend it to you to buy the property. And then they put a lien against the property for that amount. And so when you go to get a refi, you're not cashing out, you're just paying off an existing loan. Oh my gosh, Bill. That is brilliant. Thank you. That is absolutely brilliant. That is the way to go. And um, I, I just, one thing I love about you guys are you're always thinking through we always follow the guidelines, but when we don't know what the guidelines are, mm. you know, we, we end up just defaulting into something that isn't the best. So in that, that would have solved the problem with our coaching client for sure to mm -hmm. do that. So that's good. See, this is the kind of stuff that you learn from wealth builders with these coaches and with Billy that you don't hear anywhere else. And you're all just getting a very, you know, tip of the iceberg here with the workshops and really the coaching programs, you have access to this information consistently. And that's why we're seeing so much success. And it's so exciting to see people getting into real estate. All right. We do get a lot of questions on this too. Matter of fact, Frank and I were just on with a, a couple talking to them um, from England that, you know, they're, they have properties in other countries and we have a lot of Canadians as well that listen to wealth builders and they want to know what is the best way for Canadians, or I'll just add in other countries to invest in the U S bill. Give it to me. I'll invest it for them. I'm yeah. just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, there is some seriousness to that. If you know someone and trust someone to be your partner in the U S that's, that's one way to do it. Just be a passive participant and you know have some obviously some some input about the the investment decisions uh that, that that's kind of the lazy way to do it um but you could form again a corporate entity in the united states and uh and invest through that now you have to be familiar with the tax implications of of you know who's going to tax it and how much you know in both the us and canada um, and you're going to have to talk to a tax professional who knows international tax law. 
but it, it's certainly possible for a foreign uh, person who's not a citizen and has no residency, has no citizenship status. All you need is a tax ID number and you could own part of uh, an LLC that invests in real estate. They're going to have to pay taxes on it in the U.S. That's why you need a tax ID number. Wow, that's good. Frank? Well, I don't think there's a lot of restrictions, especially for Canadians to invest in the United States. However, if they move to the United States and they invest, Bill, you'd be more of an expert on that, but I know there's some differences there. Yeah, it, it, well, you know, being a, it depends on their citizenship status, but either way, whether they're a citizen, um, whether they're a permanent resident or a temporary resident or nothing at all, um, whatever you earn in the U.S. is taxed in the U.S., and the the only question is, is it also taxed in your country? And you need to do talk to a local tax professional on that. Yeah, that's good. And I think sometimes people get immigration mixed in with purchasing property and they're very separate. And yes. So there that's um, and there's, a, of course, attorneys that specialize in that bill is very helpful in purchasing the property. And uh, you can connect with him on and any legal type things that you might need. Bill, can you just give them your contact information? Uh, sure. Uh, best way to reach me is uh, my website, which is bronchicklaw.com, B-R-O-N-C-H-I-C-K, law.com. Great. Bill is the best real estate attorney out there, and he does a lot of other work as well. And he is one of our coaches in the program that we've been referencing. And so I also just want to take a moment and let you know that if you are interested in learning about Wealth Builders Real Estate Coaching or our business coaching, we actually offer you a 30-minute free consultation. And so if you would like to learn more about that or schedule a free consultation, you can email us at info at wealthbuilders.org. That's info at wealthbuilders.org. And just put in the subject line that you would like to schedule a coaching consultation. And I'm usually on there personally. Frank, you are. Yes. Toy, Mike, you'll at least get a couple of us coaches yes. on that. And um, I would just encourage you, if you're serious about getting into real estate, or you really need your business to go to the next level, I'd encourage you to check it out. We are so excited with all the results that we're seeing with people. We call them our family, right? The Wealth Builders family. Yes. All right. We've got one more question on this podcast that we have time for, and then we'll be doing a part two. So join us next week if you want to hear more. And this is about bank foreclosures. We're hearing a lot about this. And the question is, do you think the bank foreclosures will continue? If so, what is the best way to protect your money? And how do you think the commercial market will be affected during the next downturn in the market? That's kind of two questions. Bill, I'll start with you on this. Well, um, I, I wouldn't look at it as a as a fear thing that you have to protect, uh, unless you're in commercial real estate. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, but residential foreclosures present nothing but opportunities for investors to pick up good deals. Um, so the more banks uh, are are, uh, ha are having loans in defaults, the more foreclosures we're going to see. The more motivated sellers we're going to have to. Uh, make good deals with and also solve their problem, you know, so they don't go to foreclosure, get them for the foreclosure sale and uh, bail them out some way that you make money and, and they avoid a foreclosure on their credit. 
Um, as far as the commercial market, I think that you have to dissect that into pieces. Um, uh, if you're talking about the office market, that's in big trouble. And that's because mostly because the the metamorphosis that COVID did on the way we do business with like here is Zoom uh, instead of uh, instead of offices. So a lot of businesses are realizing, hey, I don't need such a big office. I, I only need maybe half that size. I don't need an office at all. Everyone can work remotely, virtually, and it's becoming a virtual world where people uh, don't need to go to the office. And that also, in some sense, in the fringes affects um, you know, inner city real estate, which you know people you know have offices in the downtown area and they want to live within fifteen or thirty minutes of their of their office to commute every day. Well, now if I don't have to commute every day, maybe twice a week I can commute. I can live a little farther out in the suburbs or super suburbs. So those areas are going to start doing better. The smaller towns that are maybe an hour away uh, from your work instead of fifteen minutes from work. Um, a good, common, Go good combination of that is the mixed use buildings where those are doing pretty well, where you've got a, you know, a retail stores on the bottom, maybe the second level is offices and above that is residential. Those seem to be doing well. And also warehouse space seems to be at a premium right now. Oh, that makes sense. Like the Amazons and, and people yes. are shopping mm -hmm. online as well. It's really interesting Another thing I've noticed, and um, it's with the young work people, that they don't have the decades of going into the office like you and I have. No, no. So they've, you know, in their career, a good portion of their career, they have been able to work from home. And you know what? They don't want to go back into the office. And so it's become a negotiation for employers as well to become more flexible. And then they're kind of stuck with some of these office buildings with high overhead. Right. Great. Wow. This is uh, such good discussion, you guys. And in route of time for today, but I want to encourage all of you listening that we will have part two that we will uh, air next week as well. We're answering as many questions as possible. And just a reminder too, if you want to learn more about Wealth Builders, check us out at wealthbuilders.org and Billy and Becky Epperhart are our leaders and founders. Uh, also, we've got events coming up. We've got a business and nonprofit workshop that we'll all be a part of August 18th through the 20th. So I encourage you to, to check in and, and be a part of all that Wealth Builders is doing and all God is doing through Wealth Builders. So Bill and, Bra Bill and Frank, thank you so much for being a part of today uh, on our podcast. And thank you uh, that you'll be on next week as well. All right. God bless you. Make a God great bless. day. Thanks for listening to the Wealth Builders Podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review the show. If you want to learn more about who we are, visit our website at wealthbuilders.org and check us out on Facebook. We'll see you next time.